Each year, thousands of thought leaders across every industry descend upon Austin, Texas, bringing with them the latest innovations and ideas from around the world. This is Market Scale at South by Southwest. Well, welcome to the third and final installment of our Leaders Driving Change at South by Southwest series. We've had two awesome episodes so far, so if you've missed those, make sure to go back and check those out on the Market Scale website. But today, we're talking to three more experts from South by Southwest uh, about their various industries. And so to kick things off, we're going to talk to Adrienne Lawrence. Now, she's a former ESPN employee, has worked in esports with the Madden League, and she consults on a lot of different things because she is a legal expert. And so we're going to talk about the specialization of knowledge in sports, why esports has gotten so popular, and what's coming in the future of media, specifically sports media. So she is extremely smart and knowledgeable. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to her. She's going to kick things off today. Following that conversation with her, I'm going to talk to Chef Andre Natera. He's the executive chef at the Fairmont Austin Hotel down in Austin, Texas. And we're going to talk about the challenge of creating a menu and feeding so many people when you know tons and tons of people from outside the city of Austin come for South by Southwest. How do you prepare for that challenge? But also we're going to talk about a big trend that's going on right now in the culinary world, and that's the idea of locally sourced ingredients, which I think presents an interesting and somewhat sticky situation for someone like Chef Andre, who runs so many different operations. Um, and so we're going to talk about the challenges that are presented by trying to uh, source locally and maybe why it's not always the best decision for someone in his position. It's a really interesting conversation about a big trend that's going on that I think is going to be fascinating to a lot of you. And finally, the third and final interview on this episode is going to be with Jacob Gordon. He's the co-founder of a company uh, that has created a product called Artifon, and it's a new musical instrument. And it's a really versatile music creation tool that I think is, is really fascinating that you're going to want to hear more about. You're going to want to see what all it can do. And we're going to talk also just about the attitude towards new products and innovation in the music industry, a place that really tends to glorify a lot of things that have happened in the past and kind of shun new innovation. And so we're going to talk about how that attitude has taken root and what they've done to kind of combat it and the attitude that they're taking now as they market this new product. So it's a really fun and interesting interview, and you're also going to see a little bit of a demonstration or hear a little bit of a demonstration rather here on the podcast today. So that is what's coming up. So without further ado, let's dive into that first conversation with Adrian Lawrence coming up next here on Market Skills South by Southwest podcast. South by Southwest brings together people from extremely varied fields. From music and film to food and technology, expertise comes from just about everywhere. Adrienne Lawrence brings her own expansive background to this year's conference. As a former sports television host for ESPN and a lawyer, Lawrence brings a perspective that few others can provide on the legal side of sports, among other topics. We got her thoughts on the current outlook for women in sports media and her work with Madden NFL eSports. Currently, Lawrence collaborates with BuzzFeed and the Young Turks in Los Angeles, California. Our guest right now is Adrienne Lawrence. She's an legal analyst and an expert in uh, lots of different areas. And you spent some time with ESPN. You've been with Madden NFL. Lots of awesome things that you've done. Now you're spending some time with BuzzFeed and doing a lot of work with Young Turks. Fantastic stuff. Adrian. thank you so much for joining us here at South by Southwest. Thank you for having me. Well, we are pumped to talk to you. And one of the things I think is really interesting about you and your career is that you left a legal field to really 
uh, be able to comment on that in the the arena of sports on ESPN, which is really fascinating to me. So I'm curious just about the specialization of knowledge when it comes to sports specifically, and what made you kind of make that career move? Um, well, I guess first to address your first question, there's been a total wave for the specialization of knowledge, whether it's um, knowledge in gambling or um, knowledge in deals in the business context, and then also law and legal, because there's so much overlap in these things. And also, as we know with fans, they love their players and their teams as if they're members of their family. And the issues, uh, especially in the legal end, are extremely complicated. And it was so refreshing and cool to be able to give that information to fans to let them know this extension of your family that you love so much this is what's going on with them so that they have an idea of kind of what they should expect to occur and it's you know the thing is what information it's content is king and to be able to give that added value content it's awesome yeah and people nowadays due to social media and lots of other things there's just so much information at people's fingertips that i think people understand the basics but they need that specialized knowledge like what you can provide the nitty-gritty of uh the legal world that maybe normal people can't necessarily pick up on just from reading an article or something like that. exactly and the thing is like those years ago i just kind of saw what was out there in terms of the legal analysis and i just believe there was so much more I could provide and especially just being able to break something down in layman's terms, but to sit back from a layman's perspective and ask yourself, what information do I want to know? Because oftentimes lawyers, we speak a lot of legalese, like it's a totally different language that I had to disabuse (laughs) myself of. But to be able to give that to the common man, it's cool. Were you always a sports fan? And was that always something that like in the back of your mind, you're like, "Mm, working in sports wouldn't be the worst thing in the world? Um, It's funny. I've actually never thought about working in anything. I just kind of let my life do its thing. And um, always, always been into sports. I always love sports. That's an easy go. Um, I just like the hybrid idea of being able to use all of my strengths. Uh, it's kind of what led me to ESPN, being able to anchor, to provide legal analysis, to be able to write, um, to be able to be a role model. It's, you know, it's just one of those things where being able to give back kind of to this world all of your talents, you know, I think that that's kind of the job we're supposed to do as individuals. Right, so legal analysis, you know, anchor, uh, right, all this. It's like you're a quadruple threat. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> I'm trying, man. <laughs> so you worked uh, and have done work for Madden NFL in the, kind of the esports world. What was that like? What kind of led you to get into that area? Oh, my gosh. It's burgeoning. Esports and also Madden, um, EA Sports, just incredible people. And they really care about and value their players and bringing them up, giving them opportunities. And also the competitors. They're just incredible young men. And I can't wait till there's more women in the game. But um, being a part of that community and that family and just also to watch esports thrive and to be able to contribute to it is so cool. I like that. What do you think is kind of behind a lot of the growth of it? Is it that there is that interactivity with, you know, you can you get to play the game and you can feel like you see the athletes and they look like you and that kind of thing. Is that kind of a bigger part of why this is growing so quickly? Uh, well, we love esports in part because anybody can do it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You can have physical limitations that maybe even took you out of the game or maybe kept you from ever even being in the game. Yet you can be in the game via the simulated model that we call video games and to be able to contribute those skills on that level because there's a lot of precision that's required and knowledge because easily these competitors they could easily be coaches they know the playbooks they know how everything comes out and it's being able to elevate those skills and to give opportunities without having to have those 
physical restrictions limit people. Hmm. Like that's huge and it opens doors for everybody. Talking about opening doors and opportunities and things like that, and with today being International Women's Day, I wanted to ask you as a woman that has worked in media um, and in a lot of different areas, what is the current climate for women in media and um, where are we progressing and where do we still have work to do when it comes to, uh, to getting more women into media and specifically sports media and um, how can we go about doing that? Uh, well, you know, the state of most things for women in general is just crap. Uh, and it is pretty much kind of the same in media. Um, I was a Progressive Women's Voices of 2018 for the Women's Media Center, and they focus on women in media and elevating um, our voices, but also looking analytically and statistically on what's missing. And when you see that the vast majority of people still writing stories on bylines are men, also, when they um, kind of they revolve around issues maybe that significantly impact women, such as sexual assault, and you see that a man is writing the byline, you're getting a very limited view, and also you're missing out on issues. It's the same thing as having someone of color write on someone of color because there are things that would be nuanced and totally unfamiliar to someone who's not of color writing on it. And the thing is, you need more diversity in voices so you can bring that up. And it's not... Uh, in sports as much as it should be. It's not in a lot of things as much as it should be. Uh, and it's just a matter of all of us realizing the value and having different voices control the narrative and how much more eye-opening it can be. Well, I'm happy that we have your voice in this arena for sure and, um, and happy to get a chance to talk to you today. I want to swing back around to some of the legal aspect of what you do. When you look at esports, what uh, are there any barriers towards this becoming bigger from a legal perspective when it comes to either the rights of players, you know, and athletes or streaming rights or anything like that? Just in your vast legal mind, uh, and you mentioned legalese earlier, do you see any potential roadblocks to this continuing to become a bigger and bigger thing? Um, I actually, I don't, in part because anything can happen. You can make anything happen legally, um, you know, it's just you set restrictions, you set rules. For instance, uh, with Madden, we might, uh, they reduce the age so that you could be 16 mm -hmm. and compete in the live competitions. And that means, you know, that person has to have a parent or a guardian accompany them. And so you make modifications where need be, where you might have legal restrictions that would kind of put you in a position um, that maybe your insurance carrier wouldn't necessarily appreciate. Right. So, Everything is flexible and all options are available there. And I think that companies and media outlets are starting to realize the value of esports and they're getting in on this and realizing there are a lot of rights deals. There is opportunity for financial growth, especially as we see, you know, uh, the attrition levels in playing football. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have people participate in that and do it from the video game standpoint, like that's huge in terms of money and continuing to have a fan base who can enjoy a product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can people find more of you if they want to hear your voice more often? Where are you uh, mainly these days? Well, mainly uh, the Young Turks, BuzzFeed, um, also on Twitter at Adrian Law, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-L-A-W. Awesome. Awesome. Can we play a quick game real, fa real Let's fast? Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to play a game where I'm going to read you the name of a company a startup company, and you're going to tell me, is this a real company or a fake company? Oh, you know, startups are a big part of South by Southwest. You know, like people <laughs> come here and they're, they're looking for uh, investors and that sort of thing. So I'm going to read you a company oh, no. and uh, you tell me if it's real or fake. Okay. All right. Einride, E-I-N-R-I-D-E. -I -I -E. Is that a real company or and a fake And you don't company? tell me what they do or what they purport to do? Let's say that they are a rideshare company. Uh, I say it's fake. 
They're real, and they're actually here at South by Southwest this week. And so, wh- what do they provide? We'll have to look more into that. <laughs> okay, uh, Steamchain.io. This is a company that allows OEMs to offer usage-based financing. I guess it's real. It is real. Who would do that? Yeah, that's what I'm like, dude, that has to be real. And Who's going to come up with that? And an interesting name, Steam Chain. I'm it, not sure how I feel about that I branding, thought automatically um, laundry. That would make sense to me, actually. I was like, oh, maybe they provide laundry services. I would like it if someone steamed my clothes more. Seriously? But, you know, that's, that's nice. Uh, Slice Line. Oh, Lord, what do they do? They're from Silicon Valley. That's the only clue I can give you. Okay, they're real then. They are fake. Oh wow! I don't know where th- I don't know where the name Slice Line came from. Probably just from Zach, our producer's brain. Um, <laughs> oh, right. oh, from the TV show Silicon ah, Valley. Now that makes more you can sense. Tell what I don't watch. <laughs> Same here. That's right. Okay, Egg Chain. Um, real. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a real God. company. Uh, not a blockchain company, ironically enough. And I have no idea what it is. But I'm kind of picturing like a necklace that has like, I don't know, maybe Easter eggs or something like that. I was thinking, I don't know. Omelets, I do not know. I would be interested in it. We have an omelet bar come to our office every Christmas. And really? Like make omelets for oh, us. Oh, that and sounds so, amazing. Right? Yes. Maybe they should rebrand as Egg Chain. I don't yes. know. Uh, uh, we Drone. This would obviously be a drone company. Oh, goodness. Uh, fake? You were right about that. It is fake. There we go. There we go. And then the fan-controlled football league. They're very real. They are very real. They are very real and And, very fantastic. And you're on a panel later today with one of their founders. Is that right? I am indeed. Um, Yes, the fan-controlled football league. It's where fans have the power to call plays in their own hands. And they've got incredible coaches, uh, high-profile NFL players who, you know, help out on the coaching front. Right. Well, and everybody that sits on the couch and watches football thinks that they could do a really good job. So does this kind of give people that opportunity? Like, all right, man, put your money where your mouth is. Yep. You get to be that what quarterback on the couch and you really get to call the plays and participate in that and it's so cool they're starting a league it starts in uh, later this year and it'll be in Vegas and you know it'll be high high performing athletes maybe who didn't make it to college or for some reason um, they didn't make it out of college into the pros and yeah and people really get to participate and be a part of the game well, I'm excited to continue to follow that and, consi- and excited to continue following you. So thank you so much for joining us here at South by Southwest. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking again soon. Thanks for having me. Not everyone has to travel across an ocean to experience South by Southwest. Andre Natera, executive chef at the Fairpoint Hotel Austin, walked across town to join the podcast and tell us about how the city collectively prepares for an influx in tourists. He also gave us a nuanced answer to the local food trend and talked about what restaurants consider when deciding what goes into their menu. Our next guest here at South by Southwest for Market Scale is Chef Andre Natera. He's the executive chef at the Fairmont Austin. Chef Andre, thank you so much for uh, swinging by and joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So what's been the preparation for a big event like South by Southwest? I know last time that you and I spoke was right around Thanksgiving and you mm-hmm. were uh, preparing a, a big Thanksgiving feast and menu for the for the people there at Fairmont Austin. Uh, what's been the preparation to get ready for an event like South by Southwest? Well, you know, in order to answer that question, I would have to go back and say that this is really truly our first, by, or our first South by Southwest because last year we opened um, 
the day the day of South by first day, but we only opened up uh, not with all the rooms yet. So um, the hotel is fully open, but we don't have the chaos of opening, right? So yeah, we, yeah. we, we understand what we're doing a little bit better. So our preparation is, uh, you know, we expect to be busy. It's, it's, it's really the first day. Um, and uh, I could tell you that this morning, uh, room service was probably our busiest kitchen. <laughs> um, you know, we saw a lot of eggs and bacon and sausage going up all morning and it was, it was, it was nonstop. Uh, right now we're in lunch service. Um, I'm not there, so I don't know what's going on, but I assume it's extremely busy. Um, and then of course our coffee shop and, and, you know, our, our, our bars get extremely busy, but I, I think, uh, the South by Southwest crowd likes to drink. Uh, they, 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 they like to, they like to in, enjoy themselves. So, um, we're fully prepared in our restaurants and bars. Uh, we've staffed up a little bit, you know, we've, 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 uh, we've increased our production in the kitchen for items that we know are going to sell, mm-hmm. uh, by about uh, 50%. Yeah. Uh, breakfast food, I would, I would imagine is going to be essential for some folks, uh, come around a certain time. I will say it was a late breakfast, <laughs> the late breakfast rush. And I think we all know what, what that means. Um, so you're here in Austin, and this is a really unique food city, I would say, and it has a lot of character to it. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, how much uh, thought and uh, effort goes into making sure that your menus accurately kind of reflect the overall, uh, I guess, food vibe or food attitude of a, of a place like Austin? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. So I would say... Um, the one interesting thing about the food scene here in Austin is that everyone everyone does what they do, right? So, the, you know, if they're doing pizza, they, they really focus on making great pizza. If they're making ramen, they really focus on making great ramen or tacos or whatever. But they, I, I feel like a lot of restaurants here don't overextend themselves. They do what they do well and they just really focus on doing that. In my position, it's a little bit more challenging because we have several restaurants. So whether we have ramen on the menu, which we do, or tacos or... Uh, scrambled eggs or a grilled steak, we have to then make it the best of our ability, sourcing local ingredients, using great product, um, and then and then being able to execute it very well. So, I would say we do what the city does. We just we just basically do it on a larger scale. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, you have to rather than being able to specialize in just one, you have to do all of them well. And right. there's a particular challenge. In right. With right. And, and so we do have a, a restaurant that focuses on meat and fire and, 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 uh, and steaks and things like that. We also have another restaurant that has Pan-Asian cuisine where we make ramen bowls um, and udon noodles. And then we have another in that same restaurant. We also offer pizzas and, and uh, pastas where we make all that from scratch. And, and, and then, of course, we have you know, a bar which focuses on that. We have in-room dining where we pretty much do everything. Um, and then we have a grab-and-go with cookies and things like that. And then on our seventh floor, we focus more on, on Mexican food. So you could see... As a chef, I have to wear a lot of different hats, and I yeah. have to be able to play in a lot of different sandboxes. <laughs> Not just one chef's hat, lots of no, different chef's lo- hats. Lots of different chef's hats, yeah. If we weren't recording a podcast right now, I'd ask you to tell me more about the fire and the, the meats and that, that kind of thing, but we, <laughs> we don't have time for that. So. so you mentioned locally sourced ingredients a second ago, and I think in a place like Austin, that's obviously a value that people have and people you know talk a lot and want organic and sustainable and locally sourced and these kind of trendy ideas um that maybe exist here more than uh, than in a lot of other places so how does that present a unique challenge for you specifically uh at a place where you're, you're making a lot of food on a regular basis how are you able to uh, work to try to keep up with those trends 
as well as uh, meet the demands that, that your position puts on you? Well, you know, this, this question is, I might, I might give you a controversial answer because I, I know it's a hot button when it comes to local and sustainable. Um, but when we're making our decisions, um, I would say that our decisions are made more on quality mm-hmm. um, and, and delivering the product that's going to be the, the right fit for whatever particular thing we're working on. So if I could give you this example of what is local, and this is this is kind of the question that comes up, is what is local? Is local 30 miles or is it 40 miles? Is it 50 miles? Is it 100 miles? Is it 200 miles? Um, and let's say I could grab an amazing tomato. Let's, let's say that we define local as 50 miles. But let's say I could grab an amazing tomato at 55 miles. Should I, should I not consider it, right? Right. And, and support, and let's say that farm, that tomato farm is, you know, sustainable. It, it doesn't use pesticides, um, but, the, but the local farm does. And let's say those tomatoes are grown in, in hothouses and uh, infused with spider DNA, right? Which they do, mm-hmm. right? To, to, to make a better tomato, to make the, a better structural tomato. Um, which one would you rather me serve? The one that's not local, just outside, or would you rather me serve the local one that has pesticides and, and, and maybe uh, not so um, great farming practices. And I, and I think that sometimes we get caught up in, well, how many miles and, we're, and, and we're, we're limiting ourselves on serving great ingredients and supporting the local small farms because we wanna say, well, it's, it's, it's outside of this radius. Um, the one thing I will say, so I, I know I said that part, but I will say we do have great farms here. Yeah. <laughs> locally, right? You sure, know, just up sure. the street, less than 10 miles away, we buy things um, from Springdale Farms, Eden East. Um, we buy uh, grains from Barton Springs Mill. Uh, Johnson's Backyard Garden is a big uh, is a big contributor to what we do. Um, we we buy our our you know many of our uh, meat from Ranger Cattle, which is less than twenty minutes away from the hotel. So we do get a lot of our products uh, in Austin within that uh, within that radius. That I think that becomes uh, I think thirty miles is really the what people want to see or fifty miles, but. But I will go outside if I could get a better product that supports, um, you know, better farming practices. So I, I would say that, yes, we want to support local, but um, we're not going to support local at the expense of, uh, of doing the right thing. Yeah, that's a really fascinating and interesting answer. And um, boy, I have a lot of follow-up questions that immediately jump to mind. But, but it, it really is interesting because to me, um, you have a responsibility to the people that visit your establishment and to yourself and to your own reputation to make the best thing possible. And sometimes those ideas might not always jive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say if some people might say Dallas isn't local to us here in Austin, but it kind of is. So if mm-hmm. I could find uh, a, a really amazing farm in Dallas that makes great cheese, I should buy it. Yeah. Right. I should. I mean, I, I would say that people want to eat that amazing cheese and support that local farmer in Dallas. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a it's it's a bigger question. I think we're just scratching the surface right now of what really is local. And um, I don't have the right answer yet. I, I could tell you that this is just kind of where my mind is right now. And I think as the data changes, um, my opinion on things will change. But this is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious um, because as a chef, things are always changing and there are always uh, new ideas and new trends. How do you make sure that you're always learning and always growing? Because I'm, I'm guessing that's a constant process that doesn't ever stop. So what does that look like for you? Are you going out and trying different things? Are you following websites, you know, mm-hmm. uh, other chefs around the world that you admire? Uh, what does that look like for you, that constant education? Well, you know, I, I would I would answer your question like this. The, 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 the trends change. 
and the ingredients change, but the, techni the techniques really don't. You know, mm -hmm. we're still working with pots, pans, knives, cutting boards. Uh, that really doesn't change. So um, what could change is, you know, if I, if I know how to make, um, uh, you know, a certain technique, if, if we know how to braise, but now we're introducing Asian techniques, well, I still know how to braise. I'm just introducing um, new ingredients that are, you know, relatively unfamiliar to, you know, what, we, what we're used to working with. So I would say... I don't really focus too much on, on trends because trends come and go. What I like to focus on is uh, timeless techniques, but I have to remain relevant. So I do follow you know, uh, restaurants that are on the world's 50 best or you know, you know, really cutting edge chefs uh, on social media, whether it be Instagram or Twitter. Um, so I, I, wanna, I wanna know what's out there and what's current, but I would say that I, I still do what I do. Um, I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to do them. I'm trying to do me. Right. So I will say I might see an ingredient that's new, and I would say mm, that ingredient would work great with this technique that I do. Um, but I, I don't. I don't follow the trends as much. I think trends really. Um, what you'll start to see them more is like plating trends. Hmm. You'll start to see that. Like people start, and they and they're hyper rapid. So. Um, you could take, a, you know, let's use Noma as an example. I, I know you had uh, <laughs> some, someone here from Scandinavia on earlier. So if, if I'm following a Rene Redzepi on Instagram and he plates something, I could, I could look at that. I might not be able to make the dish, but I could kind of see how he plates it. And I could start saying, mm, I saw that this morning. That's what he's working on. Best restaurant in the world at a certain point. I could kind of do something similar here. So um, the trends are instant. So someone at his level has to evolve so quick because everyone's looking at him as the trendsetter. Yeah. Um, where me, I, I, I didn't really have to earn it. I just had, I just had to follow him on social media and, and then kind of figure it out and maybe reverse engineer it. And I'm serving a dish similar, but the one thing that, the one thing that I can't replicate based on looking at it on the video or looking at it in a picture is I can't replicate the taste and the technique on how he made it. Yeah. No matter how many times I look at it, I have to learn that. That, that's going to take years of practice or, or different iterations of going through dishes uh, before you before you figure out how oh, it's the right balance of acidity or whatever. So I would say um, I focus more on techniques versus trends, but I think trends are more related to plating and style. Right, right. I, I, and I know just kind of turning this in a different direction as opposed to you learning from others, uh, uh, mentoring younger chefs is a big thing for you and, and something that you get excited about and you're passionate about, about what you get to do. When a chef comes and learns under you, what do you hope that when they leave is like the one thing that they really remember or take away from that more than anything else that you say, uh, you know, somebody that's worked with me for three years, I hope when they leave and go, you know, start their own thing or, or do whatever they do next, I want them to have learned this. Um, I want them to have learned um, attention to detail. I would say probably, you know, is, if we're talking skills, you know, I'd want them to learn technique, attention to detail, but I think the most important thing that I want them to take away is that who they were when they started working with me and who they are when they leave is a better version of themselves. So hmm. that they became uh, uh, not just a better cook, but you know maybe a better person. Like maybe they were just a little bit more professional. Maybe they're a little bit more buttoned up. Maybe they, they learned how to have a conversation with someone unengaged and be a little bit more disciplined in their personal life. Like I'm hoping that some of the things that we do in our kitchen culturally bleed out into the things that they do outside of work in terms of in terms of just being better and, and having that drive to know that they can be better, that if you could become a better cook, then you can also become better at a lot of other things in right. life. And, I, and I'm hoping that's the biggest takeaway. 
Absolutely. Uh, I think that's a really great sentiment um, and, and, and value and goal. Uh, Chef Andre, can we play a game with you real quick? Absolutely. Um, love games. So uh, food trucks, real big here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Lots of food trucks. I'm going to read you the name of a food truck and you tell me if it's real or if it's from the mind of our twisted producer, Zach, over there. <laughs> uh, sound good? Yeah, it sounds good. All right. Cilantro. Real. Yes, it is real. It also happens to be Zach's favorite burrito here in Austin. Great uh, fries, too. <laughs> uh, it sounds like I might be making a trip later. Uh, Sorta Torta. I'm going to say not real. You are correct. Two for two. <laughs> Chef Andre crushing it so far. Four Brothers. Not real. It is real. And Zach oh. says they have killer arepas. Oh, good to know. Good so to know. It's also very, very important to know. Uh, Gringo Taco. Real. Sex is fake. Oh, it sounds so real. <laughs> it does sound so real. In a town like Austin, you, you'd expect that to you be You know, real. on my menu, in our grab-and-go, we have a gringo taco. <laughs> we have it on the menu. What's in the, what's in the gringo taco? Uh, I, I want to say it's uh, um, egg whites and things like that. So it's yeah, a healthier sounds, version, right? That sounds it sounds like something, uh, yeah, sounds sounds about right. Uh, T-Lox Sonora Hot Dogs. I hope that's real. It is. It is real. It <laughs> <That Yeah>. sounds awesome. <laughs> it does sound awesome. Now I'm getting hungry. I haven't had lunch yet. Uh, locks and loaded. Not real. Not real. Not real. Do you prefer locks on your bagels? I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah I haven't I tried do. it, so maybe it's, I it's, need it's, to. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. That'll. That'll. That's another thing on my list. Hefe's street tacos. Is it real? I hope. I, I'm hoping it's not because that's an awesome name, and I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm going to say not real. Unfortunately, it's real. Oh, what an awesome name. What a, it is a great name. <laughs> Hefe's Hefe Street, Street Tacos. tacos. Yeah. All right, maybe this next one, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Bacon Buggy. Bacon Buggy. Yeah. Not real? Not real. Not that real. one's still available. If you yeah, want to make yeah. the bacon buggy, you know, and take it around and provide since, lots of different... Uh, since Hefe Street Tacos is taken, I might have to use bacon buggy. You might just have buggy. to take bacon buddy or locks and loaded. You know? Locks and loaded. Yeah, I that's like a good that. one. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, all credit goes to Zach over here for that one, so... There we go. Chef Andre, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy uh, South by Southwest schedule to come over and join us today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Technology and music are synonymous with Austin, but not often together. Jacob Gordon has changed this, though, with his company, Artifone. Gordon has developed a product that adapts to the way individual musicians play. Users can strum, tap, drum, and slide all with one physical device and use Artifone software to edit sound. He explained to us what inspired him to create a new instrument and how it might disrupt the traditional music recording industry. Okay, I'm very excited to talk to my next guest here at South by Southwest. It is Jacob Gordon. He's the co-founder and CMO at Artifon. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us here at South by Southwest today. Happy to be here. Thank you. So Artifon is a new musical instrument. It feels like we haven't invented any of these in quite some time. So you're really breaking some new ground. Explain what we have here today. Sure. Well, what we have in front of us is the Artifon Instrument One, which is our first product. Mm-hmm. And it's a piece of hardware. Uh, I tell people that we make music technology. Everybody assumes that it's an app, which is kind of right. an interesting telling thing. People's minds now know that our iPads and our phones are music tools, but we are under the strong belief that people are physical three-dimensional beings and they want physical three-dimensional instruments that take advantage of that great power that's in your smartphone. So mm-hmm. the instrument one is a musical multi-instrument. It's uh, I. I tend to say it looks like if Dieter Rahms designed a ukulele <laughs> for Braun 
And a musical multi-instrument means one piece of uh, hardware, a musical interface that you can strum like a guitar, you can play it fretlessly like a violin or a viola or a cello, you can set it down and play it like the keys of a piano or like the pads of a drum controller. Mm-hmm. This really, as I was kind of doing research and looking at, at what this was, it, it really does seem to, as you kind of alluded to, blend the worlds of uh, the digital, I guess, items like phones and tablets and that sort of thing with the physical world in a way that phones itself just by themselves haven't really been able to do. And so I think that that's really a, a really great marriage of those two, uh, those two things that up until this point, it seemed like they were kind of uh, separate in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Tactility and ergonomics are the nerdy words for this. So having something that you can touch with your body and you can build muscle memory around. And ergonomics, something that conforms to the physical form of the of the human being. A lot of the more cutting edge musical hardware tools that are out there still all just live on the tabletop. Yeah. There are things that we tap on or slide on. And then, of course, the multi-touch screen of your iPhone or your iPad is an incredibly sophisticated interface, but it's still a sheet of glass that mm-hmm. always feels the same no matter what you're you're doing with it yeah so you're right you're right yeah absolutely so where did the idea for this come from like what was the impetus for uh, for creating this new device mm. yeah. well i have an i have a brilliant um, business partner and and founder ceo of artifon who came out of a phd in sound studies at virginia tech which is the interdisciplinary study of the phenomenology of how we listen mm-hmm. and how we make sense of the world around us through our ears not just music, but all, all sound. And 2011 was the year that GarageBand came out on the iPhone. Suddenly we have a orchestra of instruments in our pockets and a recording studio. So as, as an academic, he put this sort of thesis question on the table. What are the instruments of the future going to look like when we have this musical brain in our backpacks, in our, in our pockets? So that's when prototyping began. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, so... For me, I know that, and you mentioned this earlier, that musicians, uh, a lot of the time, like I, I've played guitar for a long time, you like to have something that you can touch and really like uh, contribute like what you have learned as far as uh, what your hands can do and your technique and that sort of thing. And, and that really, uh, I think, plays into one really unique aspect of this. The other thing is that musicians also like to be able to tweak things and, and make different sounds and whatnot. So how... Um, how uh, moldable, I guess, is the sound that you can make out of uh, this instrument? Is it uh, tweakable in the same way that uh, someone might like to tweak the sound of their electric guitar or something like sure. that? Sure. Great question. We like to think of this as ad- adaptive mm-hmm. musical instrument design. Despite the fact that you have plenty of, of ways to tweak the sound of your guitar or your synthesizer, in a lot of ways, those interfaces are asking that you adapt to them Mm -hmm. and we're seeing if we can invert that and make the instrument adapt to the person uh once uh you want to you want to strum it you want to set it down you want to put it all in just like uh guitar hero chords so you can just play a bunch of jazz chords even though you don't know how to finger them (laughs) we want to make the instrument do your bidding so you can get your ideas out or just get into your flow state or whatever whatever mood you're in Um, But once you've done that, the digital world of music is phenomenally tweakable. Mm -hmm. The language of MIDI, which is the 30-year-old protocol that that lets um, physical 
hardware controllers tell software environments what to do, right. it means that you have sort of this root language on which is layered incredible variety of sounds and expression curves and effects and things like that. So, oh yeah, if you're, if you're into the, the broad spectrum of tweaking sounds, there is no limit to what you can control. So you can obviously probably pretty easily just plug this into anything, be it a phone, tablet, computer, and record just directly into that device um, and, yeah. and then have it there. Yeah, that's yeah. what we, part of the beauty of plugging into mobile devices, also mm -hmm. Mac and PC yeah. computers. So this has a battery in it, has a little amplifier and speakers in it, so it's um, self-contained in that respect. Uh, but plugging into the phone means you can download our app and use that. You can also download GarageBand, which mm -hmm. is free, and right. use that. So everyone out on the street in Austin has GarageBand in their purse, whether they know it or not. <laughs> and uh, and then once, if you want to graduate beyond that and get on your laptop and use professional software like Logic, you can do that mm -hmm. too, and it's scaling along with you there. So having this extensible platform that Apple conveniently built for us uh, has basically <laughs> means this never gets old. And every new piece of software that comes out just plug right in. Yeah, and you have something that is this size right here, which if you're listening on a podcast, uh, isn't longer than a guitar neck, really, you know, something something along those lines. Um, and with it, you have this much functionality and this many different sounds and options and that sort of thing, so that if you are someone that creates music quite a bit, but you're on the road or you're on the fly, this makes it something that is really easy. You just plug into the phone and you don't lose any of the ideas that you have in your mind you know, when you're a thousand miles away from any guitar recording software, you just have it right there immediately. And the music studio, as we traditionally picture it, Austin's a great example, a city with some amazing world-class music studios all right. over the place, as wonderful as those are, those are no longer required mm -hmm. to make world-class music. And that's, people are shattering that, that old myth all, all the time that you actually need some big fancy million dollar studio mm -hmm. that means that people are producing on the go in a hotel room in the back of a van in their in their dorm room whatever sitting out in the park more than they ever were in the past so there's a whole new wave of portable tools that are that are letting people just do this anywhere they want to yeah yeah that's pretty incredible now do you run into any I guess ideas, anytime something new comes out and there's something innovative, there's obviously going to be uh, a little bit of maybe old school mentality of we didn't need to adapt, the old way was fine. Do you run into any of that at all? And has that been a difficulty in, in kind of marketing and, and educating people about this new product? There's a curious irony that I, I'm now quite used to, but was surprising to me at first that uh, artists, musical artists, mm -hmm. musicians, who we think of as as among the most progressive, <laughs> open-minded, and experimental among us, can get very sensitive about uh, people coming and messing with the tools of their craft, or mm -hmm. or trying to redefine what what instruments can be, or broaden the definition of what instruments can be. Uh, it's true; people don't come along and invent musical in new musical instruments very often. Partly that, partly that's because that's hard. Uh, partly it's because people are a lot s slower to embrace those things than we might ex expect them to be. Yeah. Uh, s 
I, I hate to throw guitarists under the bus here. Go ahead. Under I'm the ready. tour bus. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I grew up as a guitarist. <laughs> right. And um, I've been in as many guitar centers as, as everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, but guitar players are the people who are the most threatened by this. It's not sure. made out of wood and metal. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't plug it into something with glowing tubes. There's no point-to-point -point hand done circuitry. And it's not from 1969. You know, right. Leo Fender was such an amazing innovator and such an incredible early example of what Silicon Valley now calls customer development, yeah. testing ideas with real life people and iterating endlessly in this incredibly fanatically open-minded way. He was a pioneer of that. Musicians have frozen that in carbonite and said hmm. that a, a Fender Mustang or a Gibson Les Paul or a Stratocaster really shouldn't change and how dare you mess with it. Yeah. Uh, so it must we, be exactly how it was when Jimi Hendrix played it yeah. at Woodstock. And people yeah. will pay more for something that's more like something that was frozen in time. Mm -hmm. uh, that first took us by surprise. Now we embrace it and yeah. say, well, if we're raising the hackles of this many people, we must be onto something sure. important. <laughs> Sure. Uh, no, th there is there is that trend of certain industries in certain areas that uh, fetishize the old almost, you know, of uh, the, the way that things used to be the classic. You know, I'm a big baseball fan. I think baseball is that way in a lot of ways. You mm -hmm. know, I think the music industry can definitely be that way where you think, oh, this time was the best and there's nothing that could advance past that. And um, I think that that's really interesting that as I guess as a strategy of the company, you've kind of embraced that uh, us against... Um, kind of the establishment mentality. In, in a, in a, I hope a constructive and friendly sure, way. Sure. And frankly, the world doesn't need us to do it. Mm -hmm. The world needs the, the like 12 and 13 year olds of the world whose first instrument is their iPhone. Mm -hmm. And there's no stopping that. And those people will go on to be the most innovative musicians of the coming generations. And they aren't going to think in rigid categories, whether it's musical genres, whether it's the idea that a song is a fixed thing or something flexible, what collaboration looks like. I'm so fascinated with the phenomenon of people buying and selling beats from one another. Hmm. There is an entire marketplace of people collaborating via uh, beat selling and beat trading where someone who's got an MPC or an Artifon or just their the mouse of their uh, laptop or their iPad is making beats and then putting them out there and other people are picking them up and rapping on them, singing on them, putting more layering music on top of those. And there's this asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration going on, which is leapfrogging the way that sort of the old folks like me think about the way that yeah. music is made. It's phenomenal. So what are you doing here at uh, South by Southwest? What's your schedule and where can people find more about uh, what you're doing at Artifon? Yeah, absolutely. Well, all of what's going on at Artifon is at artifon.com. Mm -hmm. We have some big announcements coming up, actually. We're not here at South by to announce those yet, but we're Come just on, wrapping Jacob. up a, a, a seed round of funding that includes in, a lead investor from an interesting corner of the music industry. Mm -hmm. So a good example of older institutions looking toward the future and saying, not just what's the what's the future of rights management, but like what is the future of what music and human interaction with music is, whether it's playing or listening, whatever. Uh, so that's keep an eye on Artifon for some more news of that coming up. Uh, I'm here now uh, to talk on a panel on technology and culture hmm. that Microsoft for startups and um, uh, and some friends of mine have put together. I'll be on a panel at six o'clock tonight at Empire Control Room, which is a fun 
venue. It was good to get in there today a little early and there's literally like beer cans and guitar picks <laughs> strewn across the floor like some folks had a very good time there last night. So it's, it's already feeling very Austin. Yeah, Austin in its natural state, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule and coming and uh, talking to us about this today. It was really fascinating to learn about. My pleasure. That is all for our Market Scale South by Southwest podcast series. Thank you all so much for listening along to this episode. If you missed either of the first two, you missed some amazing stuff, whether it's a 3D printed kidney that saved two lives or it's a, a gigantic telescope the size of the Earth that is trying to take the first picture of a black hole. Uh, You've missed some amazing innovation and some crazy stuff that's going on in the world. So you're going to want to go back and listen to those two podcasts as well. Make sure you don't miss any of our South by Southwest coverage. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. As always, we cover 14 different industries. So make sure that if there's a particular industry that you are involved in, that you work in, or that you just have an interest in, make sure you go find that industry and check out more of the content that we have there, uh, whether it's podcasts, written material, or even video. Uh, We have a lot of stuff there for you to consume and enjoy, and uh, hopefully it will be uh, beneficial to you in your business. That's all we got for this episode. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Until next time. 